It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, this is the Redbox Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, and it's back. PMQ's unpacked. We pause the action live from the House of Commons as Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer go at it across the dispatch box. I wonder what they talked about. Patrick McGuire joins me for that. Uh, before that, we kick off, as ever, with our columnist panel. No Alice Thompson this week, so Robert Crampton is joined by Times columnist Janice Turner. The Columnists on Times Radio. Yes, every morning we speak. Every morning this time we speak to two of our favourite columnists. Uh, normally on a Wednesday, it's Alice Thompson. Alice Thompson's not here. We, Robert Crampton is here. And joining us on the line is Janice Turner. Hi, Janice. Hello. Uh, nice to have you with us. Uh, let's talk. Uh, I think we're talking apologies. Are we talking mm. apologies? Yes. 35 of them. 35 of them. I played them all earlier on. Uh, they're all quite similar. Um, somebody's mm. texted in saying, is it different? Is there a difference between I apologise and I'm sorry? Is there a material difference? Are you, it, I'm sorry has, carries more weight, in my view. Yeah. I apologise doesn't is slightly less heartfelt, isn't it? And the worst one of all is the, is the Sunak one, which is, I'm sorry if somebody's been offended. I'm sorry which is, if... which is kind of making it your fault, really. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I'm sorry that you're offended, but the subtext of that is... You, you shouldn't be. And actually, some of Boris Johnson's 35 were, I have apologised, which is yes. even more sort of distant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they don't really count. They do don't they? really count. What did you think of it, Janice? Is, it, is he, is he uh, apologised enough? Well, you know, when you're sitting down in the cinema and uh, you're sort of at the beginning of an aisle and then the last person to arrive is always the person sitting right in the middle of the aisle, <laughs> the theatre. You know, they often going, sorry, 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 as they nod <laughs> through yeah. people sitting there. This is how I feel about Boris Johnson, is the sort of, you know, elbows out. Um, you know, it's kind of just a way to sort of ease his way. It's not really. Yeah. There's no. I mean, he's been apologising his entire life, hasn't he? And not least to women. Yes, I mean, I, yeah, he's he's got it off pat, hasn't he? The sort of you know yeah. that sort of hangdog. You expression. can definitely picture Boris yeah. Johnson arriving late in a cinema. Yeah, you, you can. Know, popcorn all going one way. Yes, uh, you know, diet. And, well, probably full fat coke splashing yes. everywhere else. And really, he should have just got there on time, <laughs> like everybody else. Quite. Maybe he was waiting uh, for his date. Yeah, I mean, politicians never used to say sorry. It always used to be a thing, didn't it? Yeah. Politician, the public always hated politicians for for not apologising, and now it's gone exactly. It's the other way. They apologise all the time, and it's I mean, it's effectively meaningless, isn't it? Really. But also, I mean, it's less about the apology, really, and the slightly strange contortions and caveats he's knotted himself up in. Janice is that he says uh, he fully respects the right of the police to fine him. <laughs> 
Good. Uh, and he has paid it, while also insisting that he didn't think he'd done anything wrong, yeah. and he apologises for doing the thing that he didn't think was wrong, even though he's accepted it was wrong and paid the fine. Oh, it's... I mean, it's end days, isn't it, for him? I mean... <laughs> You know, I don't feel there is this massive appetite in the country just to sort of get rid of him right now. I think that he's going to have a good old kicking in the May election and at the Wakefield mm. uh, by-election uh, forthcoming. Um, you know, it's just so lame. I mean, it, it, the the nation, I think, you know, the Conservative Party and certainly, you know, ordinary people are just bored and sick of it. Sorry only works, doesn't it, when you mean it. And everyone has got a detector that they can tell this doesn't count and he doesn't mean it at all and so where where does it go then janice do you think uh this is because mm. people have been making this point why does keir starmer keep calling for boris johnson to resign when actually that's really the last thing he wants but that's you know that's politics do you think we are just in a long slow grind down to a general election can boris johnson where which boris johnson leads the toys into and based on the current polls would at least uh lose although labor some way off the majority do you think the toy party will eventually get rid of him um, or do you think he can turn things around? No, he can't now. I mean, I have this litmus test, which is my cousin, who is a working class Tory. Mm. Well, a sort of like Hyacinth Bucket Tory in Barnes, <laughs> right? And she's always loved Boris and thought he was great. But now she's absolutely had enough of him and she mm. just cannot bear him. And the Tory party is a rapacious power machine, isn't mm. it? It's a power factory. There is absolutely no way he's going to stay there if they think he's going to lose. I would imagine May is preying on their minds. And mm. then after that, there'll be moves. I mean, you know... OK, there's a war on and so on. But, I mean, they've got lots of really good MPs who are really popular who um, who are soldiers, who were ex-soldiers mm. like Tom Tugendhat. And, and what's the other one? I always forget his name. He's John, Johnny Mercer. Johnny John Mercer, D- down in Plymouth, yeah. And then there's Who's ba- the other one? The tall one. Anyway. Oh, uh, uh, Tobias Elwood. Yes, Tobias I like Elwood. him, yeah. Yeah, very handsome. And Ben Wallace, yeah, he, is, ben Wallace there's is There's a, there's a feature in this. You describing tall, soldier. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, not that one. Well, the other one. It was not Boy, ben, Wall- it's not ben Wallace, is it? With a... <laughs> All authoritative, clever, um, upstanding soldier to be mm. the next leader of the Tory party. And, um, but, I, you know, job done. And Keir Starmer's going to have a problem the, with that. Yeah, I mean, the, the war thing is, is a red herring. We changed a prime minister three times. Uh, well, twice. We had three prime ministers in the Second World War. Yeah. And we are Churchill not at war. And we I mean, are not at war. We are, and it's we're doing yeah. and, you know, and, and an Boris, admirable job of, of supporting and, yeah, Ukraine. Yes, and that's But there's no that, suggestion no. that it's Jeremy Hunt or Rishi Sunak or Liz no. Truss would do it any no, differently. No, it's uh, it's arrogant to suppose otherwise. Uh, I mean, he's got the... I mean, Janice is right. He's got the local elections. He's also got the, the Sue Gray as yet to... Yeah. And there's an ongoing police investigation. There's a possibility of a referral to the uh, Privileges Committee. That's, prob- that's going to be whipped out but uh there's uh lots of uh and there's and you know and there could be more fixed penalty notices in fact it's hard to see how there won't be more fixed penalty notices over the next few weeks so and actually that's the point isn't it uh janice because um you know i have if i have sympathy for boris johnson it's that he's been fined for this one mm-hmm. the, the bit of the, the cake and the i mean lots of people couldn't do it lots of people weren't doing it i think rishi sunak being very rishi sunak and turning up early to a meeting and they've been stung for 50 quid is a bit unfair but this is only the start you know we haven't yeah. got to the boozy leaving dues the karaoke machines and the broken swing ones and if if he's been fined for this one there can only be worse to come yes well 
find or not, it's, there is just this exasperation and boredom about it all, really, isn't there? He clearly did exactly what he wanted in lockdown. Him and his yeah. wife outside with people drinking wine. They didn't think the same rules that, you know, the, the minutiae of the rules that we had to endure was mm. so frustrating and um the fact that he just blithely did what he wanted is is unforgivable and i think whatever the fixed penalty whatnots um mm -hmm. uh, he's done for in a democratic sense he's done for i, I was amazed where he regards saying that he paid the fine promptly as some sort of as uh, <laughs> some sort of oh, it was not, well done well done you didn't he didn't you didn't push it <laughs> You didn't push it to the maximum and get and wait for wait for the course. Wait, wait for, yeah, yeah. Well, well, although I, maybe it's because it is so um, uncharacteristic on his part. There's a great yeah. uh, story in the Times diary today about how when he was <laughs> he wrote in a book that when he was a student he had a Fiat One Two Eight which he called the Italian Stallion. Yeah. He'd park it all over Oxford regardless of restrictions. Mm -hmm. Got loads and loads of tickets, uh, but he said he didn't care because it got Belgian plates, so they they never caught up with him and he just let them all blow away well yeah, when he was briefly, when he was outside living in Camberwell wasn't there um, he had his car in some sort of crummy old Volvo absolutely encrusted with parking tickets down in Southwark so mm. you and know he just doesn't care and and the, remember the row about him spilling red wine on the sofa which Carrie got that was the cause of the row wasn't yeah, it yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I don't really care it's just somebody else can clean it up somebody else can clean that up yeah <laughs> Well, we'll see how it all goes. I suspect uh, we might talk about this uh, uh, again on another day. Uh, let's uh, to, turn to a much easier um, uh, topic of conversation. Prince Harry. Mm. He's now protecting the Queen, apparently. Me? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought this was... It's amazingly arrogant thing to say. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what... I, if I was his brother, who's here and having to sort of do the hard yards of, of uh, rebuilding the, uh, the royal family... And then he and the and, his, and then his younger brother swans over from uh, uh, Santa Monica or wherever it is, Santa Barbara, and says he's making sure the Queen has the right people around her. That would really, really irritate me. I thought that was a it was an extraordinary conceited thing to say. I mean, I suppose unless his his his. Uh, I mean, we could take it literally and say that by him and Meghan moving to America, that's him ensuring. That <laughs> but he didn't say he's got the wrong. Well, yeah, but he 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 when he he, he said making sure that she has the right people yeah, yeah, around yeah. her. Like, that's his... I mean, he, I suppose he meant it to come over as a kind of grand filial yeah. um, concern, which is to be charitable, maybe it was, but it didn't sound... It didn't. It, it struck a, struck the wrong note to me. Uh, what do you make of Prince Harry, Janice? Well, everything is done through the prism of his Netflix deal, isn't it, really? Like, he comes over and uh, has a little meeting, and then um, he goes over and gets the applause at Invictus, which is, like, the only decent thing he's ever done with his life, really, of any consequence... And then um, immediately there's been an interview on the US Today programme about his meeting with the Queen. And, and now the debate is about him going on the balcony at um, Buckingham Palace for the, uh, the, the Jubilee. Mm. And everything is, is, you know, Netflix have probably sat him down going, look, we're two million down in subscriptions now. You know, <laughs> you, you've trousered an enormous amount of money for doing basically, I think, one tiny thing so far so can you just like head over to granny get some good material <laughs> you know promote it and then you know we're gonna have we, we, we can see it now harry we can see the the, the balcony scene mm. you know little lilibert is seen for the first time by the british people as the fly pass goes on you know we've, we've we've sort of storyboarded it so this is how i see harry's um view of 
everything to do with this country now. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't care about him. I don't think about him very much, but it's quite <laughs> clear. Like, it must I be think nice about him all the time. <laughs> I, think of, I think of little else. Um, you're right, though. This sort of is, it has the sort of slight air of the, the you know, uh, sort of Katie Price thinking, well, I've not been in the news yeah. for a while. I need to fall out of a nightclub and that'll get me back uh, yeah, in the I front mean, pages. I must admit, I hadn't seen, uh, I hadn't seen it. But, yeah, I mean, of course, yeah, Janice is right. I mean, his, his, his value to Netflix uh, depends upon his access to the royals, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, and he's just uh, topped that up. He just has to need to keep dipping in, mm. if that's the right um, uh, <laughs> turn Probably. of phrase. No, it's not. No. <laughs> uh, Robert, you've written uh, about anglophobia. Yeah, this 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 came up uh, as a, uh, a slightly uh, mischief making uh, row up in in Moray in Scotland, uh, where people were trying to equate uh, anglophobia with Islamophobia. Uh, and saying it's you hear more anglophobia in Scotland than you did Islamophobia, uh, and I obviously, and the SNP was saying you know, that that's not that's not uh, that's not correct. They're not they're not analogous, and I was uh, and I was agreeing with the SNP saying that uh, one is a sort of banter against all the English, you know, when it comes around when there's football or rugby on or something, and the other is uh, racism. So, and but I was I was trying to think if I'd ever been the victim of. Anglophobia, and I, I really haven't. Uh, maybe certainly not in Scotland. Actually, there's a, there's this perception that the Scots uh, don't like the English. I think they, they don't like posh English people. They don't like Boris Johnson, but they don't. Uh, I've always had a very warm welcome there. But I, the, the couple of times that I have experienced it, it was Wales during the if there's a big rugby match on, and of course in Paris with uh, French taxi drivers. And I'm not sure they like anybody really. Taxi drivers or, or French Parisians. Paris, 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 that's the, that's the, yeah. the double whammy. Mm. Have you been on the receiving end of anglophobia, Janice? Well, I was trying to think about this, and um, you know, I've been, to, I've spent a lot of time in India, and where they have an absolute legitimate historical reason to hate English <laughs> people, and I never found anything but warmth and curiosity, really, mm. so, which I found really surprising. And um, but I, one time I was sent um, to interview Alistair Darling when he was Chancellor of the Exchequer, and. And I was quite nervous and, and I go into this massive room at the Treasury and um, the person showing me in had been Scottish and the, the two uh, aides who were sitting with him were Scottish and of course he was Scottish. And I said as a little bit of light-hearted small talk to begin with, oh, is everybody in your office Scottish? And the fraudure I got, <laughs> that, it was like, well, uh, what yeah. about it? Yeah, do you, wanna mi- do you want to mix something of it? <laughs> <laughs> And I and I went oh, oh well I didn't you know obviously you know it's great you're all Scottish and, yeah. you know, and then I had to hastily tell them that I was from the north of England. Yeah, some of my best Scot- friends are Scottish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't I, so I didn't have you know I wasn't some sort of London ponce you know yeah. I you know so I sort of muted my own Englishness. Yeah. But I mean the only time you ever come across anglophobia is from middle class English people in my mm. view like. You know, there's this certain type of people who love nothing more than to say how crap everything English is. Mm-hmm. And they are English themselves, you know, like our food is the worst in the world. And then if something happens in this country, especially since Brexit, it's like, oh, well, what do you expect with this terrible country? Oh, what do you expect? Mm. Our food is so awful. What do you expect? Our people are just sort of slovenly or, you know, whatever. And I, I find that really upsetting because I think, you know, I know quite a lot of English people and they're really nice. I, don't, I think that's just class hatred. I don't think that's anglophobia. I think that's people <laughs> just being rude about uh, ordinary people. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, it's not even about ordinary people. It's just about the whole nation. And yeah, I know what you mean. You, get, you, get, you see, it with, you see yeah. yeah, you see it with expats in particular, don't you? Yeah, and mm. yeah, middle class people who mm. don't have anything better to do. 
Janice Turner and Robert Crampton there. And of course, you can read them both in the Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next is PMQ's Unpacked. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Patrick Maguire. Patrick Maguire is here looking very smart. I always have a job interview on a Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> you, uh, a appearance. Well, this is a good excuse for you to get on the YouTube. You can see Patrick Maguire's got a tie on everything. Exactly. Exactly. So, so uh, these are serious times, if you've got a tie on. Serious times for Boris Johnson. Uh, do we think today's PMQs is going to be a rerun of yesterday's statement, or will Keir Starmer go for something else? It's a really interesting question. I wonder if Keir Starmer will be a bit wary about rehashing old grounds so quickly. Um, but then again, we know it's a very uh, very fertile plural for Labour to plough, as it were. So I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe we'll hear more about Ukraine. Perhaps he'll ask about the Prime Minister's upcoming trip to India and whether um, he can reconcile global Britain's trading ambitions with uh, his attempts to chivy India to a more uh, pro-Western position on Ukraine. I don't know if you can uh, um, explain this to me. How is it OK for Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak to leave the country tomorrow while every other Tory MP has had their leave slips whipping operations torn up and they've been told they've got to be here tomorrow. I, d- I did think that too, and it does raise the question of who's going to respond for the government to that, uh, that Labour motion. In previous, uh, in previous Partygate flashpoints in Parliament, Michael Ellis, the, uh, the Cabinet Office Minister, perhaps the most boring man to ever have been elected to Parliament, um, <laughs> to call him a straight bat, I think, does uh, an injustice to all the great raconteurs that have been straight bats in 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 the history of parliament he is beyond boring and sort of you know a a charisma vacuum sorry this is a horrible (laughs) unnecessarily vicious ad hominem about poor michael ellis i mean that's essentially his job he's been sent out as a fairly anonymous uh, straight batter to just uh, try and kill the story i mean in the past when at the height of the brexit shenanigans there was a sort of vote of no confidence in uh theresa may michael gove did a sort of virtuoso performance oh that was uh, that was that was uh that was classic gove wasn't it It was gove versus watson in the summing up it was sort of like a glimpse into a parallel universe uh where neither jeremy corbyn nor theresa may exist and it was actually quite fun i remember that 10 minutes so maybe michael gove would be put up maybe dominic raab um but yeah as you say crucially not the prime minister and certainly not rishi sunak uh, yeah, I says, yes, and whether or not Michael Gove wants to tether himself to this particular row is, uh, is an interesting question as well. Uh, Robert, thank you for joining us all. Uh, if you're watching along on uh, on the YouTubes, hello from Indiana, says Marie. Uh, hi from Holland, says someone else. Stephen in Taunton. Uh, someone in Shoreditch. I'm probably wave out the window and see you. Uh, Timothy is in sunny and warm Oslo in Norway. Uh, Dawn in Crosby. Hello from sunny Chorley. 
Is the uh, guy from so Taunton sure. a close personal friend of yours who you've paid uh, to? B- 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 Stephen P. I mean, that could be any, anyone. <laughs> uh, Elliot says, first time watching as well as listening. Very exciting. Enjoying the deconstructed jacket, Matt. What does that mean? What does that mean? It's oh, it's like, you know how in M&S they don't sell suits anymore? Yeah, you just, can just buy just a jacket, jacket and trousers. Yeah. And... Well, I bought this from a charity shop. Well, I actually do have a full suit from M&S on, so... Uh... Well, we, won't, we don't need to see your trousers. Uh, right, here we go, then. Uh, the this is PMQ's Unpacked, live on Times Radio. We go live to the House of Commons. This is Keir Starmer's question number one. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister in wishing Her Majesty a happy birthday? Yeah. Why did the Prime Minister's press secretary, Allegra Stratton, have to resign from her job. Minister, I I bitterly regret Allegra's uh, resignation. I think it was very sad. And I think she did an outstanding job. Uh, uh, I do, do, particularly particularly, uh, since uh, she was the the one who coined the uh, expression coal, cars, cash and trees, uh, which enabled the UK uh, to deliver a fantastic COP26 uh, summit last year. That, even by Boris Johnson's standards, was a quite acrobatic segue, wasn't it? <laughs> Away from Partygate to COP26, which happened many months ago. It's an interesting question. So the question that's been, been, been posed repeatedly is that she resigned, having uh, spoken, uh, you know, that, that leaked video of her laughing, apparently, about uh, a party that happened at, at uh, Number 10. My understanding is she did attend the party. There, was, mm. there has been this speculation that she was, she's resigned over a party she didn't go to. But I'm, I'm, my understanding is that she did. However, her treatment is slightly in you know, stark contrast to almost everyone else. Well, she is one of the very few people to have resigned, certainly one of the, the only person with a meaningful public profile to have resigned. Um, and it hasn't escaped the notice of the public that it is the the high-profile woman who's, uh, who's carried the can rather than Boris Johnson or Rishi Sunak. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how Keir Starmer prosecutes this line of argument, given Boris Johnson, I can... You know, I would put my house on Boris Johnson not answering a single one of the questions that we're about to hear directly. So it'd be interesting to see how Starmer delivers, uh, develops this line of argument. Robert. Will we get the 36th apology? That's the big question. <laughs> uh, right, let's go back to this question two from Keir Starmer. Allegra Strachan laughed at breaking the rules. She resigned. The Prime Minister then claimed he was furious at her behaviour and accepted her resignation. Professor Neil Ferguson broke the rules. He also resigned. The Prime Minister said that was the right thing to do. The former Health Secretary broke the rules. He too resigned. Matt Hancock. The Prime Minister tried to claim he sacked him. Why does the Prime Minister think everybody else's actions have consequences except his own? I, I thank the right honourable gentleman. I, think, I feel he's in some kind of Doctor Who time warp. We had this, uh, we had this conversation yesterday, uh, Mr. Speaker, and I've, ex- I've, ex- I've explained uh, why I bitterly regret uh, receiving an FPN. I, I, ap- I apologise uh, to the House. Uh, but he asks about the actions for which I take responsibility, and I'll, I'll tell him we're going to get on uh, with delivering for the British people, uh, making sure. And making sure that we power out of the, the problems that COVID has left us, and more people in work than there were before the pandemic, Mr Speaker, fixing our energy problems and leading the world in standing up to the aggression of Vladimir Putin. Those are all subjects about which I think he could uh, reasonably ask questions now. <laughs> <laughs> 
Stop asking me about this. Let's talk about something else. I don't think Keir Starmer is going to take him up on that invitation. I was interested, given that we heard Brandon Lewis on the broadcast round yesterday lead with, and, and Tory MPs are, <coughs> are doing this now, uh, government spokespeople saying, oh, well, you know, what about Keir Starmer's beer in that office in Durham? You know, as much as you get the contrition from the Prime Minister, oh, I'm really sorry, I received an FPI and the public have the right to, you know, expect better. There is an attempt to create the impression that oh, everybody was breaking the rules, not yeah. least Keir Starmer. But interesting, the Prime Minister didn't go for that then. He is clearly, and this is a message for Tory MPs as much as anything else, business as usual, I am a, a world statesman and don't distract me with this little local difficulty. It's interesting that Keir Starmer clearly, as he, you know, is his way as a barrister, try to sort of prosecute an argument. We see interesting to see where he goes next. He starts with the Legistrand, then he throws in Neil Ferguson, the former government advisor who had to resign after he was... He, he was, was visiting... Visiting a paramour. Yes, exactly yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is at that point was in a controversial divorce. Obviously, Matt Hancock um, uh, as well. Interesting, Boris Johnson now referring to him as an FPN uh, to just try and play down even more uh, what exactly... Well, again, uh, FPN, speeding ticket. Just a speeding ticket. Yeah, exactly. Just a speeding ticket. Just a bit as if it'd be fine if he was done for speeding. Uh, right, um, uh, let's go back then. This is uh, question number three. You listen to PMQ's Unpack here on Times Radio. <laughs> strange answers from a man who yesterday claimed to be making a humble apology. (laughs) Does the Prime Minister actually accept that he broke the law? Uh, Yes, Mr Speaker, I've been absolutely clear that I I humbly accept what the the police have uh, have said. I've paid the, the fixed penalty notice. And, Mr Speaker, what I think the country and what I think the whole House uh, would really rather do is get on with the things for which we were elected, deliver on our promises to the British people. And uh, you could not have clearer evidence of the intellectual bankruptcy of Labour. They have no plans. They have no plans for energy. They have no plans for social care. And they have no... Lindsay Hall's not happy. Prime Minister, sit down. I want to hear what you've got to say, but I can't hear when you're talking that way. I'm hearing the truth. Please, if you can help me. No, I think we'll have had enough. Oh, he's cut him off altogether after that. Uh, I think, it, I mean, we could hear him perfectly well, but I think there was a suggestion that, that Boris Johnson was not looking towards the Speaker's it, chair. It's a rank discourtesy to Sir Lindsay, yeah. I thought he was going to tick him off for, for going on about Labour doesn't have an energy policy. No, so did I. And Rishi, um, Rishi God, uh, that's, uh, he might follow Selwyn Lloyd in being a Chancellor who became Speaker. That's uh, <laughs> that's one for 20, PMQ's on Pat 2035. That's top quality Patrick uh, Maguire trivia. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but he has Lindsay Hall has been very interventionist. You know, for a man who ran as the anti-Burko, he has been. Uh, he does like to stick his all. He in. does. He does. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure that Keir Starmer asking does the Prime Minister accept that he broke the law was the, the, the best use of question number three. No, although I wonder whether he's going to say, d- d- has the Prime Minister read the ministerial code that he wrote the forward yeah. for that you know stipulates in the first line or the second line or whatever that it's the paramount duty of ministers to obey the law. Um, uh, I, th- I think it wouldn't surprise me if that were, you know, part of Keir Starmer's, uh, you know, Columbo, uh, just one more thing. Sort yeah. of point, uh, one point, 1.3 of the Ministerial Code. The Ministerial Code should be read against the background of the overarching duty on ministers to comply with the law and to protect the integrity of public life. So maybe that's what he was driving at. Uh, well, it's all going very well so far. It's all going very well so far. Let's go back. Uh, this is PMQ's Unpacked, uh, where you can watch along uh, on uh, YouTube. Where I think you're voting on whether or not Boris Johnson should resign. 
83% say you should. Uh, you can go on YouTube, search Times Radio uh, and subscribe and uh, watch along. We go back to the House of Commons. question four from Keir Starmer. The state of it, the party of Peel and Churchill reduced to shouting and screaming in defence of this lawbreaker. No, then, that's the last time that Peroni that you just asked about, you might have to go and take it. I don't hear any more, or else you will be drinking. Keir Starmer. That's an easy hole ticking off. So, uh, Mr Sorry, Speaker, yesterday's apology lasted for as long as the Prime Minister thought necessary to be clipped for the news. But once, once the cameras were off, once the cameras were off, the Prime Minister went to see his backbenchers, and he was back to blaming everyone else. He even said that the Archbishop of Canterbury had not been critical enough of Putin. In fact, the Archbishop called Putin's war an act of great evil, and the Church of England has led the way in providing refuge to those fleeing. Would the Prime Minister like to take this opportunity to apologise for slandering the Archbishop and the Church of England? An atheist asks a Catholic, citation needed, Boris Johnson does uh, never weirdly want to confirm that, to uh, apologise for slandering the Archbishop of Canterbury. Well, did he, when they got married? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got married in Westminster, in Westminster Cathedral. Cathedral yeah. yeah, so um, uh, that's, that's some confirmation of Boris Johnson's uh, religious status. Um, we should point out, just before we hear, hear Boris Johnson's response, um, that this, this row has sort of escalated today. So, so uh, you had uh, Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, criticised the, uh, the plan to send uh, migrants to Rwanda for processing at the weekend. Boris Johnson uh, then accused the government, uh, then accused the Archbishop of being less vociferous in his condemnation of President Putin than he was of the British government. Then uh, and accused him of misconstruing government policy. Well, this morning, the Church of England, John Bingham, who's the head of news at the Church of England, I wasn't aware they had one of those. He's a very top. nice man, I met him. Well, there we are. Yeah. He's accused uh, the Prime Minister of a disgraceful slur. Uh, so, yeah, the mudslinging uh, continues. Let's see if the, if the Prime Minister wants to try and patch things up with the Archbishop of Canterbury. Mr Speaker, I, I, I think the, 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 the right honourable gentleman... Uh, I, I was I was slightly taken aback to be uh, for the gov- sorry, Mr. Speaker. I was slightly taken aback for the government to be criticised over the uh, policy that we have uh, devised to uh, end the end the, the deaths at sea in the Channel as a result of cruel criminal gangs. I, I was surprised uh, to be a, to, that we were attacked for that. And actually, Mr. Speaker, it turns out that that policy. Do you know who proposed that policy? Uh, first of all, in, in 2004. It was David Blunkett, uh, Mr. Speaker, who said it was a 21st... Yes, it was, and she'll remember, a 21st century solution to the problems of illegal asylum-seeking and immigration. Uh, he should stick with... He's a Corbyn Easter. He's a Corbyn Easter in a smart Islington suit. That's the truth. <laughs> Lots to say there. I mean, in, you've got the germ of the Tory 2024 campaign there. Yeah. He's a Corbyn Easter in a suit. Indeed, actually, that was Keir Starmer's leadership pitch in 2020. But anyway, we don't, we don't, talk, we don't talk about that anymore. Oh, but Corby, Corby's been in the building. You'll be able to hear Jeremy Corby later on, uh, on Drive with, uh, with, um, with, with John Pena. He didn't pop in to say hello for some reason. After all you did for him. After, all I've, after everything I've done for him. Um, uh, it's been interesting. The, the Tories, you know, they've, they've been, they have been rooting around. In the, I've, this is the most detail I've had on the, 
on the this was Labour's idea first uh, claim, suggesting that David Blunkett first thought of this offshoring migrants. wasn't wasn't quite the same. I think that was a detention centre for people whose claims were found to be invalid or you know were definitely illegal, rather than the Rwanda plan, which is to send single men seeking asylum regardless of circumstance to Rwanda. Right. And, and actually, the main problem with it is, is the uh, well, it's certainly the way they've pitched this is this is copying Australia. That this Indeed. this isn't some Labour policy that they've they've pitched. Well, I think it's also. I mean, what's that? Twelve? How many years ago is that? It's a long eighteen years ago. It's quite a long time ago. To to I'm not sure. Boris, David Blunkett, one for the kids. Yeah, I'm not sure Boris Johnson has necessarily adheres to all of his positions from eighteen years ago. Uh, uh, certainly not. Even not eighteen months ago. It's 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 interesting though. That was definitely the warmest. Uh, fullest cheer from the Tory benches for the mention of the Rwanda policy. We know that that is something that really gets Tory MPs, particularly backbench selected in 2019, riled up. You speak to a Tory MP, as I spoke to a few of them last night on the Commons Terrace, um, they all say, oh, you know, my constituents don't give, a, you know, couldn't give less of a... Um, Hoot. You know, a, a hoot. hoot. A hoot, sorry. Yeah, I was really I was really groping for a suitable word for a family radio station there. Um, you know, about Partygate, what they care about is small boats, even if you're talking to, you know, a MP from a landlocked constituency deep in the Nottinghamshire coalfield. They say they really care about the small boats, so that's why Boris Johnson will it's emphasize interesting. this. It's interesting, because I was chatting to one uh, Tory MP who said it doesn't really matter whether it works, it's given them something to say when people are when on the doorstep this keeps coming up the small boats is a massive they now have an answer to that question they've got a policy mm-hmm. and and actually the archbishop of canterbury slacking it off probably helps to to rise you know push it up public consciousness well yeah and also the you know let's not get into a long discussion about the sociology of religion although i'm sure listeners would love it <laughs> uh you know yesterday we think of it we ended up arguing about what god looks like which was uh which is not what but you know no, fewer church did uh church attendance is declining every every year uh the conservative party is no longer the uh no the anglican church is no longer the conservative party at prayer i think it's pretty risk-free for the uh prime minister to have a pop at Justin Welby these days politically, I think. And actually the point that Daniel Finkelstein was making yesterday is that the, the sort of people who do still go to church probably are long-standing Conservatives who, who want something done on this subject as well. So, um, uh, it's, yeah, it probably doesn't And probably wish risk. Justin would put his tambourine away and <laughs> abide by a more traditional <laughs> liturgy or whatever. Um, Mark has been in touch. So can everyone tell me why uh, answers are always directed to the speaker and opponents are spoken of in the third person? It's just a sort of politeness thing, isn't it? Yes, it I mean, is. It is a, somebody else replied to say, if in doubt, it's down to tradition, which is true. They can only speak through the speaker. Yes. So um, you're speaking through the speaker. So, so, you, so it doesn't become as aggressive as you, you're a liar. You have to say he's a liar, then you get told off because you can't say liar. Yeah, you know, the, the prime example being Tom Watson's famous, you're a miserable pipsqueak of a man, Gove, uh, for which he was ejected from the chamber. Yeah, <laughs> there we are. Uh, two mentions of Tom Tom Watson in one one PMQ. Got him on a return. I wasn't expecting Jeremy that. Corbyn's in the building. Tom Watson, <laughs> Tom Watson getting fun recollections of Tom Watson on uh, Times Radio. God, yeah, the I, world has turned upside down. I could do a tight ten minutes on Theresa May in a minute if you like. Uh, right, uh, we go back. What are we at? Uh, question number five. I think we're at Keir Starmer. I think you'll find Mr. Corbyn doesn't have the whip, but I think that's a no then. Pathetic. He, he never takes responsibility for his words or actions. They were all there. The Prime Minister also accused the BBC of not being critical enough of Putin. Would the Prime Minister, would the Prime Minister have the guts to say that 
to the face of Clive Myrie, Lise Doucette and Steve Rosenberg, who have all risked their lives day in, day out, on the front line in Russia and Ukraine, uncovering Putin's barbarism. Uh, let's just hop in there. He's now just weeding out um, Justin Webb, isn't he? This, is, this whole thing's got... Is this what Justin Webb... I mean, I obviously wasn't listening, but I, th- I think others were. Justin Webb on the Today programme this morning um, asked exactly this question, uh, uh, saying that um, he was he was talking about Boris Johnson accusing the BBC of not being critical of uh, Putin, and asked, can you come up with an occasion when Boris Johnson put his life on the line for the truth, as Lise Doucette has, as Jeremy Bowen has, as Clive Myrie has? Well, I've, ne- I've never listened to the Zay programme. I wasn't aware it was still going, but apparently it is. <laughs> apparently it is. It's not, it's not still going. Maybe it was just Justin... Maybe, maybe, maybe Steve Swinford, who tweeted this, just bumped into Justin Webb on the bus. <laughs> Justin Webb just, you know, casting around looking for something to do. Um, uh, but it's an interesting... It's an interesting... Uh, I mean, whether or not it's a very interesting to the public, I do feel like we've gone slightly into the weeds it's, here. It's quite, yes, it's also, you know... Um, it's slightly Twitter-brained, isn't it? In the... <laughs> that's that's the thing I was looking for. I mean, it's asking Boris Johnson to asking Boris Johnson a question that Justin Webb's already asked about something that Boris Johnson said last night about Clive Myrie and the BBC in a meeting that no one was at, which was designed to cover up the conversation about Partygate. I mean, it'll get you know a thousand retweets, but um, well, I suppose nobody normal watches all it. Well. No disrespect to the views on YouTube. <laughs> Love you all. But, you know, I, yes, exactly. They are 320 of my favourite uh, people in the world. Uh, <laughs> somebody else has pointed out that um, Boris Johnson taking a swipe at Keir Starmer for being from Islington. Uh, Richard says, Boris Johnson lived in Islington until his wife threw him out. <laughs> uh, right, here we go then. I'm, I'm not sure where we are now. Let's go back to the House of Commons. If the right honourable gentleman wants to uh, join the Conservative Party and come and listen to uh, what uh, the meetings of the uh, Conservative Party, he's welcome to do it. Uh, but though I, I, though, as I say, I think he's a Corbyn Easter in an Islington suit. But I said nothing of the kind. Uh, and I have the highest admiration uh, as, a, as a journalist and a former journalist for what journalists do. Uh, I think they do an outstanding they do an outstanding... I mean, I think he should withdraw what he's just said. It has absolutely, absolutely, absolutely no basis or foundation in truth. Here's Starmer. Well, I'm going to bet a pound he doesn't withdraw that. Uh, I would agree. I mean, it's a classic Boris Johnson tactic. He's done this a few times, hasn't he? Um, when com- and it's also, you know, something he often does in debate... Uh, in the chamber and out of the chamber, he seizes on a perceived inconsistency in somebody else's speech. Um, as he said to Ian Lavery when they were debating after a 2017 debate, he said, withdraw that old boy, withdraw that when Ian, Ian Lavery said, he's never been to a food bank in his life. Um, <laughs> that's a new, we've not had an Ian Lavery before. It's been a while since we've had a Don't Touch the Lathe, but that's that's a real one for uh, um, uh, connoisseurs of the, uh, the Patrick McGuire School of Imitation. We heard the Corbyn attack again. Um, and this is uh, a rhetorical crutch for Boris Johnson, and I suspect it will be a crutch for the Tory campaign in 2024. But what happens if, going into that election, Keir Starmer says, he's not even... I've kicked him out of the party. Well, as he just he's, said, yeah. He's I not think... standing. He doesn't have the whip. If he doesn't have the whip, we're, he can't stand we're running. We are running against Jeremy Corbyn yeah. in Islington North. That is our... Yeah. Um, which I'm, I'm pretty sure will, will end up happening, given that the settled view of the Labour leadership is that Jeremy Corbyn... It, barring a complete change of personality, will never be a Labour MP again. Um, so that's more difficult for the uh, for the Tories to prosecute that argument. But I also think there'll be no shortage of 
um, you know, press clippings from Keir Starmer's Trotskyite pamphlets, um, <laughs> you know, clips of him as a campaigning lawyer um, that they dredge up and present him as a... And also the big unresolved question here, um, sort of slightly departing from that um, exchange, is, you know, what do, what do Labour say about the economy? You know, we've got so many known unknowns about the next election um, where this attack now might seem a bit eccentric, but it might, might in 2024 cut through to a deeper uncertainty about Keir Starmer. Um, someone on uh, Matt on uh, YouTube says Patrick's right. No one normal watches this, so our social media people have now got a poll running. Uh, <laughs> Are you see, normal? Is is watching PMQs normal? So far, yes is ahead. Although forty six percent of people who are watching it, say, no, it is not normal. <laughs> so there we go. Uh, right, uh, let's see if we can round things off with a, you know, let's, let's try everyone redeem themselves. We've got one more exchange. This is question number six from Keir Starmer. That's how he operates. A mealy-mouthed apology when the cameras roll, a vicious attack on those who tell the truth as soon as the cameras are off. Slander decent people in a private room. Let the slander spread without the backbone to repeat it in public. How can the Prime Minister claim to be a patriot when he deliberately attacks and degrades the institutions of our great country? Prime Minister, how many does he have? How many does he have? I, I, Mr. Speaker. Boris Johnson, Sorry, like Mr. me, Speaker. was confused as to whether or not Keir Starmer got any questions left. No, no, premise, just, just a second. I want to hear the Prime Minister's answers. I expect it both ways. Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, there's a, 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 an indication of the depths to which he's willing to see. But he accuses me... He accuses me... He accuses me of producing journalists. What he says... What he says is completely without any foundation, whatever. I did not attack the BBC last night for their coverage of Ukraine. He must be out of his tiny mind, Mr Speaker. He must be out of his tiny mind. I said, I said no such thing, and there are people behind who will testify to that. He is completely wrong, Mr Speaker. That, that, is, that, is, the limit, that is the limit of his uh, willingness to ask sensible questions today. Uh, we are getting on, this government is getting on with the serious problems that require attention, fixing our energy uh, supply issues, and, make it, uh, and by the way, undoing the damage of the Labour government that didn't invest in nuclear power for 13 years. Uh, we're, we're the nuclear power station every year. Standing up to Putin, Mr Speaker, uh, when uh, he would have elected a Putin apologist. That's what he wanted to do, and he campaigned uh, to do that. Uh, Mr. Speaker, and fixing our economy with record numbers of people now in work, productivity back above what it was, more than half a million people back on the payroll than there were before the pandemic began, Mr. Speaker. That is as a result of the decisions, the tough calls this government has made. Uh, we get on with the job while they flip flop around like beach flounders on the beach, Mr. Speaker. Beach flounders on the beach. What's a beach flounder? We'll, we'll fight them on the beach flounders. Um, so, uh, where to unpick uh, that? I mean, so the interesting thing is the report that Boris Johnson had criticised the BBC came from that left-wing Corbynista apologist pamphlet that is the Daily Telegraph, the former employee of employer of Boris Johnson. Yes. Uh, well, who 
we, the, one of the big reveals of today's session is that he still identifies as a journalist, which is quite touching. Yes, and then he, he slightly corrected himself, <laughs> didn't he? And he realised, oh, for, a former journalist. Um, uh, I'm not entirely sure. That line of questioning from Keir Starmer didn't really end up in the place I expected it to. It sort of became a more general attack on Boris Johnson's integrity, didn't it? Rather than, um, as you said, a forensic Occam's razor um, logic progressing towards a point that sort of hoisted Boris Johnson with his own petard. It sort of just became a, an everything and nothing, all-purpose, one-size-fits-all attack on the Prime Minister as just a bit of a bad bloke, which is clearly um, something Keir Starmer believes. He has a, he's developing a knack for getting under Boris Johnson's skin, I think. But the, yeah, you're right. He hasn't really furred anything. And actually, where you could have needled Boris Johnson, well, when Boris Johnson says to the uh, Labour Party, you ha- don't have a policy on energy they do mm. they have a, you know they want to win for tax and actually the revelation we had yesterday about this guy who's on two hundred and fifty thousand pounds for running a company that went bust uh and he's been still being paid for the attack that seems like quite a fruitful area potentially you know actually do a bit of the knockabout on parties and then zero in on some real life hard crunchy stuff might have been a better line of attack than, yeah. than drifting off into Someone that Boris Johnson did or didn't say last night at a meeting that may or may or not have been misconstrued as an attack on Clive Myrie. Yeah, I don't think the whole, oh, he was speaking at a private meeting of the 1922 committee. I mean, that's an academic distinction when the remarks are the remarks are published anyway and are liberally leaked, including by, you know, number 10 communication staff as the um, as the meeting happens. I, I also uh, I also think Keir Starmer has improved markedly as a Commons performer over the past two years, but clearly I don't think he is particularly good at ad-libbing or extemporising still. As you say, a leader with a little bit more fleetness of foot, a little bit more assurance in the chamber, um, would be able to dodge and weave and perhaps adjust their line of argument beyond the odd one-liner. And it's never clear whether Keir Starmer does these himself. Um, I think there are a few tells in, you know, indeed in his choice of the specific former prime ministers he mentioned about, um, you know, about who's writing those lines. Um, all I'll say is, you know, Robert Peel's hometown is shared with uh, one of Keir Starmer's speechwriters. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 